Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Business Munchies where we munch on some business ideas. We take different business ideas and we break them down and we see what's possible. In this episode, we're going to be talking about video and live commerce. Is that what you call it, Siddharth? Right? Yeah. Uh, this has taken China by storm and it is coming to India as well. There's a lot of opportunities for people to build in this market in India. Uh, secondly, we're going to be talking about this organization called Tiger 21. We just found out about it a couple of weeks ago. It is basically like a trust group or like a, a personal board members for your investments. Super interesting idea. I think there's a lot to learn from that as well. And also some business ideas there. Uh, thirdly, about how you can have no code and low code training programs for people in large enterprises. You guys know that we are both very bullish about the low code, no code movement. And I think there's a lot to do there uh, and transition into larger enterprises. Lastly, and this is what we call our business crazies uh, about Indian clothes, uh, but for the office, not formal wear. I have a thesis on this. I'm going to pitch it. Uh, let's go. Uh, before we go into the actual episode, I want to just mention two things. Number one, Facebook just changed its name to Meta. Okay. And that's because they're putting a big bet on the metaverse and all, all things VR related, AR related. I literally, I'm not lying. Half an hour ago, I got my first ever Oculus Rift. I'm going to start playing with it. I'm going to see what the metaverse has to offer. And in two weeks, when we do the next Business Munchies episode, we're going to be talking about meta and we're going to be talking about why Facebook is so, 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 so bullish on the entire metaverse on VR, why they bought Oculus Rift and what we see as your business opportunities over there. Number two, if you don't follow us on Twitter, please follow us. We've been putting a lot of effort onto Twitter and we want to see it grow. Uh, so yeah, let's start. Even Instagram. Instagram is also something that we've been doing a lot of reels for. Sail and I had to come out of our comfort zone to do reels. Uh, it took me 50 plus attempts to do my first reel. I just mind boggling how difficult it is. But uh, one thing that I do want to mention, Sail, I phenomenal effort on Twitter, right? I think sail has been at it for the last month or two. Um, and generally, Twitter is hard to crack. The follower increase is just like by three, four, five um, in one go. But the thing with Twitter is one tweet is all it takes. Um, so one of our tweets, I won't say viral, um, nowhere close to viral, but one of our tweets sort of flew um, and that got us 150 followers in one day. It took us six months to get to 500, 550 followers and one day to get to 700 followers. That's that's interesting how Twitter works. Yeah, I was so happy that day. <laughs> um, okay, but yeah, if you don't follow us on Twitter and Instagram, I'll put the links in the show notes. Please follow us. Okay, let's start Siddharth. Tell us about video live commerce or whatever it is that you call it. Yeah. So basically what's happening is e-commerce is now being driven by videos and live streaming. Let me just break down what, what these two things are. Video commerce is just basically using video short form content to drive product sales, right? So think of something on TikTok, somebody created on TikTok and then through TikTok, you can buy that product. Live streaming of this is basically somebody, a live streamer coming in and talking about different kinds of products and people, you know, on that live stream can, can click a button and buy the product that is being discussed. Now you would think, or at least I thought, okay, it's just a niche market. Some people buy, you know, live e-commerce and stuff like that. Till I saw these numbers, two streamers in China in one day sold $3 billion worth of products on live stream. That just blew my mind. And this is the tweet that went so viral and put video live commerce on everybody's mind. Because like before that, I didn't think much about it. I thought like, okay, China is happening. Who cares? 
but now that tweet i was just like shocked yeah and obviously when i read that tweet i went down the rabbit hole of just understanding what this is and the numbers um i've been gotten i've gotten feedback from sahil that i talk a lot about numbers so i'm just going to share one or two, a couple of numbers in this entire thing taobao which is the leading live commerce player in china it's it's owned by alibaba made 65 billion dollars using live e-commerce this is 2020 and the last 3 years they've grown at almost 300% every single year 2017 to 20 by 2022 they're estimating this thing to be 400 billion dollars using just live streaming commerce or video commerce it's already at 9 or 10% of total gmv so it's insane right so this is already happening what does total gmv mean total gmv is gross merchandise value so all the the value of all the products combined the price of it combined 10% of that on e-commerce is now being sold through video or live e-commerce that's just wow. insane okay. right uh, let me talk to you about what kind of products are being sold um, so the way this basically works is somebody is going to create content either live or you know you can consume it at any point in time on multiple of these you know tiktoks of the world and instagram reels of the world and stuff like that uh that's the that's the video comment there's live streaming where a lot of e-commerce player or individual players have said hey i'm going to give all the tools to these creators who are already famous and i'm going to enable them to sell products live right uh lee jikwa lee jikwai i don't know how to say it he's called the lipstick brother of china he sold I, he sold a billion dollar worth of products in that day he's, he was one of them on a daily basis he gets 20 million viewers on his live streams he does it every day and he gets 20 million viewers every single day on that particular day i think it was some special day i don't know what it was but 250 million people showed up on his live e-commerce channel that's just mind boggling numbers what kind of products are being sold the most um, i think the biggest category is fashion and skincare i think these these probably combined get 60 70% of the the entire live e-commerce which kind of makes sense right because skincare is something that you know south asians in southeast asians generally take um, very seriously and fashion also is very easy to sort of sell um, live e-commerce right we were we were talking to the founder of kama ayurveda the other day and uh, he was like yeah a lot of japanese people buy kama products because the japanese and the asian market for some reason they're very advanced when it comes to skincare like yeah. they're way beyond anything that's happening in india or even europe exactly um then there is cosmetics i spoke about cosmetics household items personal care electronics hairdressers and what not right so hairdressing stuff and what not so various categories of products are being sold dominated by fashion and skincare this is basically qvc happening all over again on the internet right um qvc was this i don't know how do you call tv marketing uh, the the show where they'll come and talk about like various products and say hey 50% off call right now to get this deal and stuff like that um sail do you know what qvc stands for i've never heard of this before qvc is a huge brand globally by the way you probably have heard of home shop 18 and stuff like that that was in india right uh, so it's the is the global brand for that um, qvc was quality value convenience that's literally the name of the company now the exact same thing is happening on live e-commerce the reason why these get these guys or these streamers and video commerce is getting popular is because one they become curation machines of short sorts um, they first build authenticity and credibility and through the right kind of curation by telling people what to buy what not to buy what not to do and stuff like that so once you are able to build that authenticity people take you way more seriously in terms of you know 
if he's recommending it or he or she is recommending it, it's probably good. That's one. Second, they in China at least the scale that they are talking about, they basically call it out that this is the cheapest product that you will find on the internet. This particular product is going to be cheapest if you buy here because obviously merchants are able to reduce the margins when you're selling millions of products, right? Like it's literally millions of SKUs that are being sold. So merchants are able to reduce the margins and hence um, they are able to able to offer um, best prices. And man, convenience, if you thought QVC was convenient, this is a click of a button. These apps are just like a click of a button. Your payment details are already stored. Your address details are already stored. You click a button and you buy. So before you can process, if you want this or not, your dopamine kick has made you buy the product. That's just insane. Um, and the same thing is happening in India now. Yeah, um, and China is just a different, it's literally a different country, but the, the, <laughs> the world of China is just different. I don't understand. I met 250 million people on a single stream. Is mad. I think how IPL gets how much? Like 50 million, I think, live streams. 50 lakhs, so 5 million, dude. That's it. Compared to 250 million watching a live stream of some random guy. It's insane. Um, okay, so what are the opportunities in India for this? Like, are there people who are already doing live stream commerce in India? What's going on? Yeah, so if you think about it, there are two ways to do this, right? There is e-commerce players who will start venturing out and building these platforms for content creation, live streaming and all of that. Uh, there's some of it that happening in terms of partnerships. I think um, Flipkart recently partnered with Moj, which was one of the apps that came out of their TikTok getting banned. Um, so it's a short video app and they've partnered together to do live e-commerce of sorts or video e-commerce of sorts, right? So that's happening. So um, that's that's one thing that's happening. Then there are dedicated live streaming startups in India. I think there's Bulbul, which raised about $25 million, has uh, monthly active users of 1.2 million. Um, that's the data that I could find on the internet. There's SimSim um, raised $16 million. They have about 0.5 million um, users. And most of them are... I've heard of SimSim. It got acquired by YouTube or something recently, I think. Oh, yeah. So I guess YouTube is also like quite um, bullish on this market. Yeah. I, anything video, right? If you think about it, um, the the world of video is not monetized as well. I was reading some data that top 3% creators uh, are the ones who basically make money, 90% of the money on YouTube, uh, the YouTube ad revenue. If you think about it, that's the only way to monetize videos right now is just through ads. Um, and even that, the annual ad revenue on an average is about $20,000 or something like that. So you can't really make a living uh, basis that, right? So uh, it's time that you figure out how to monetize videos in a different way. Influencer marketing was the first step. The next step is just like selling right there. So question, so do these live streamers get a commission then? Or yes. like, is it like affiliate fee? Okay, yeah. So like 5% or 10% or something. So so in general, I think uh, the margins are about 2 to 3%, uh, which is a large number or it could be lesser. But even, I mean, dude, we're talking about $3 billion, right? Any percentage of that is going to be a large number. So they're able to make a killing out of just doing this. It's a it's a huge market. If Let's talk about the, the opportunities in India now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what 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 comes to your mind, Sahil, in terms of where do you think what kind of categories do you think this is suitable for in India? I, I come from a B2B background. So the first thing that comes to me is B2B, right? Uh, one thing that the first thing that came to my mind was that when I go to an exhibition, right, I have to physically go there to meet all the people and to physically see the product um, and all of that and talk to them, interact with them live. Now, the thing is, you can't go to every single exhibition in the world. 
right? Uh, if you're a buyer in the US, for example, and you want to buy products from Asia, one of the largest exhibitions in our industry, uh, it happens in Delhi, but there's another one that happens in Dubai as well. You, you don't want to fly to Delhi, Bombay, or uh, Dubai or anything, right? It's a long flight. What if um, it's live streaming? Uh, like, 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 just imagine an exhibition stall, and in that there's a camera, and you can interact with somebody uh, live if you want, like face-to-face, or somebody might just pop up on the screen next to you, and then like like on the camera, you're like, oh yeah, this is the product. You, you show them the product. This is what the features are of the product. Like, hey, do you want to buy it? Yeah, just click there to buy if you want. Yeah. Uh, my sister my sister sells a lot of cushions and stuff like that from exhibitions. So I can totally imagine like a buyer from somewhere else uh, just coming because they, they in the US exhibitions that she goes to, uh, they buy on the spot. Like they'll buy like $10,000, $20,000 on the spot. Uh, so I can totally imagine that happening for B2B as well. It doesn't have to be B2C. Actually, that's a very good idea. I had not thought of B2B as an angle, but uh, definitely I think this is combination of that virtual exhibition plus uh, it's just it's just an interesting combination. Yeah, virtual exhibitions don't have to be virtual only, right? They can be hybrid, virtual plus physical, yeah. Exactly. Um, so so few categories apart from obviously fashion and, and skincare and whatnot. One of the ideas that I loved when I was researching on this is farm to table, right? Basically, farmers harvesting their products shooting the videos eating those products right like a juicy apple or a juicy peach or kiwi and whatnot right and then saying that hey if you want to buy buy through this app and it'll directly come from the farm all the way to the consumer and the platform makes a small amount of cut or something like that Uh, i think this is what the indian farmers need Uh, this is what the indian consumers need because you get quality produce I've met somebody who's already thinking about doing it. I had t- spoken to him like a year ago. Um, I was uh, speaking to a, a founder who was looking to raise funds. He shouldn't have spoken to me because I don't have money to give. Anyway, um, but I was speaking to a founder and uh, they're in the milk industry. And he was like, oh yeah, ours is like organic milk, blah, 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 blah. And about three or six months down the line, I, when I had spoken to him a year ago, he said three to six months down the line, I'm planning to uh, have a video camera in the farm so that people see the lives that the cows are living so that they know that the cows are being um, treated well, right? Um, and you can do the same thing for like, yeah, farmers like picking out vegetables from their garden or like their farm. Uh, yeah, other stuff as well. Yeah, exactly. The other non-obvious thing that came to my mind was these manufacturing companies in India that are building a lot of consumer products, but they generally have to like white label it and send it to another brand who knows how to market these products and stuff like that. What if these people start showing how these products are produced what if these people start showing the quality of these products right one of the one of the examples that i saw saw in china was uh, these mobile covers like the iphone shields the screen shields uh, they were live testing the screen shield by throwing stuff at it by like using that to cut like cans and like you know stuff like that um, this is just a significantly better way to uh, talk about the quality of the product than putting it on amazon which is more of a seo game um, if you figure out amazon seo then you're going to get you know sales but if you can't figure that out even if the product is good nobody goes to the second page on amazon right so uh, it doesn't work so question so do you basically invite a live streaming influencer to your factory and then your that influencer then sells your products is that what you're saying potentially yes um, okay. and if 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 one of these founders is actually entertaining and and cre- can create these content himself or herself why not right uh, but but a, a lot of this comes down to 
there will need to be platforms that are built to enable a lot of this, right? Uh, the reason why the Taobao thing or the two streamers got so much money is because Taobao was able to push the audience to those streams, right? Put it on the homepage, push those audience to the stream because it's very hard to get audience organically uh, as we've realized doing this podcast. Um, so, so, um, I guess there need, will need to be platforms and that's a good segue to understand like the, the, you know, the, the shovels for the gold rush kind of businesses. One is a good platform to enable these independent e-commerce merchants that use Shopify, WooCommerce or different platforms, give them the ability to do live e-commerce, right? Uh, give them the backend infrastructure to say that, Hey, you are going to be able to enable live e-commerce on your store. There's a company in India that's trying to do it. I love their website. I haven't tried their product called Plaza. Um, and they're, they're, it's the same thesis. Basically allow uh, various e-commerce merchants to do live e-commerce. And if you think about it, it kind of makes sense because you can partner with an influencer and send emails to all your customers saying that at 12 p.m. on Sunday, this live you know influencer is going to be there and you're going to get discounts worth 20% or 30% or 10%, whatever. Um, so you can drive a lot of sales. The other one non-obvious opportunity that I thought of, a lot of these legacy tech businesses or legacy retail businesses are going to eventually wake up and realize, oh, we should do video commerce or live e-commerce. It'll probably be too late by then. But, um, and they won't have the technical chops to actually build these platforms in-house because they obviously, an ABFL like Aditya Billa Fashion uh, wants to do things in-house. They don't want to rely on another platform because you have to give a lot of margin and stuff like that. What if you build the tech white label it for a lot of these legacy retail businesses and tell them that, Hey, this is the future. I'm going to give you the tech, just plug it in and get started. Um, I think that's, that's going to be something that can be done. No, that's a brilliant idea, man. Um, I've met some people from these legacy businesses and a lot of times they don't want to change. So yeah, having somebody from the outside, just white label, uh, a software. Yeah, it's perfect. It fits in perfectly. Yeah. I, I love it. So basically, I think overall, given the numbers in India, we are at the start of it. I haven't been able to figure out if there was a characteristic on like just how people are in China versus in India, where it works in China, it won't work in India. I can't think of the reason why it won't work in India. If you establish trust as an influencer, um, you should be able to you should be able to convert that into live sales. And, and just one more thing to add here. Um, no, so Siddharth, I think yeah. one of the biggest characteristic differences is that uh, China, the internet penetration is much higher. Therefore, they can have 250 million people in a live stream. That said, it's not like India's uh, video penetration is that low anymore. I think something I saw in the pandemic, it was like 250 million people, 350 million people are now uh, watching videos in India as well. So it, in India as well, that penetration of internet has become much higher. Yeah. The, the only, you know, caveat there is China generally has like one language that they can rely on to capture the entire market. In India, you'll probably have to go regional and vernacular in order to do this, which is fine. I think India is still a bigger market for, it probably won't be $3 billion in sales in one day anytime soon, but it's still a big market to do this. And just one more point before we add this. I think it's a good thing that there are vernacular people. I mean, the, you have to do it in vernacular languages because then it spreads out. It's exactly. not like just one person dominating across India, right? Then like somebody's dominating Tamil Nadu, somebody's dominating in Maharashtra and you know, stuff like that. 100%. You're absolutely right. Um, one more thing that I just want to add here. A lot of times, and we were speaking to Daman Soni from, um, 
from Global Beast, he's heading growth there. One of the things that he mentioned was a lot of times growth is about finding an arbitrage and a, a platform or a way to like get a lot of users at a very cheap cost and just doubling down on that, right? Um, a classic example is Mama Earth who doubled down on influencer marketing and was able to grow significantly. Now, if you do influencer marketing, everybody's doing influencer marketing. So it's, it's not the same kind of returns anymore. Live e-commerce could be that arbitrage for certain people in like in the next two years to like just double down and actually use that to grow their brand significantly, specifically D2C brands, because they've now raised money and stuff like that. So they have the, the, the firepower to actually spend. Um, they can actually do this and capture this arbitrage really well. Yeah. I think last point I want to make about this topic before we move on to Tiger 21 is that what I've been reading about D2C brands, and I've been speaking to founders as well, is that the return on ad spend on D2C brands has plummeted in the last six months because of the changes in like Apple's privacy settings and all that stuff. And as a result, earlier when they would get an ROS of two, I mean, so of four or five, which basically means that if they spend a hundred rupees, they earn a revenue of around 400, 500 rupees. Now their ROS has come down to like two. So that means their marketing spend on selling every, each piece of product is like 50%, which yeah. is not sustainable. Um, and yeah, this is something that might be that kick in the pants, which will get their ROS back up. Who knows? Yeah. I think I think it's it's something that marketing teams need to experiment with because marketing is all about experimentation and uh, see what works. Should we move on? Yes, just just to conclude, video is here to stay. And if you're an e-commerce brand or an e-commerce company, figure out how to leverage video to drive sales. Which is why we've started doing video as well. We've, we've just started recording all of our Munchies episodes in video as well. And we're putting up on YouTube. But there's a big delay because we're still trying to figure out <laughs> video. Uh, audio we have on... Like we know exactly what to do with audio. Video is a bit eh. Anyway, moving on. Tiger 21. Siddharth sent me this link to this organization called Tiger 21, which is like global. And I was fascinated by what they do. Essentially, um, I'm I'm part of this, this trust group thing called uh, at the Ascent Foundation. And it's basically a group of like 10, 15 founders or business owners who come together and they discuss their business and all that stuff, right? So there are many, many organizations that do that for businesses. There's uh, entrepreneur organization, there's young professional organization, YPO, uh, there's Ascent. There are many people who do this. But this one, Tiger 21, does it specifically for investments, okay? So they have a entrance criteria of $10 million. So and $10 million of investable assets, not just $10 million net worth, but $10 million of investable assets. You can only, that is the entrance criteria. Yeah, and then they, you just come in and you you discuss basically your investment portfolio. So on a, in a regular meeting, they have one person who's leading the uh, meeting. And in a regular meeting, they'll discuss like, oh, like what's going on in the world? Uh, what are the different investment opportunities and all that stuff? But what one thing that I love that they do is they have something called a portfolio defense, which is basically you show your entire portfolio. You're completely transparent about your portfolio and you have to defend your portfolio. Holy shit. Like, just imagine this person. Like, I think the average person is worth like $50 million or something like that. Imagine this person who's like a multi, multi-millionaire and has to defend their portfolio. I was reading articles about this uh, this organization. Apparently, like, people sometimes leave within hours or weeks before their def portfolio defense because they're so scared of defending their portfolio. I've heard that, like, the grilling can be, like, really intense. But just to add, just the value of that is just significantly high, right? 
if you are able to defend your portfolio in your peers who obviously are smart and will bring interesting point of views a lot of your blind spots can get cleared by just defending that portfolio right um and and to think of it sile you and i i've done it with a couple of my other friends where we are openly talking about the investments that they are making and we're trying to seek the other person's point of view right like what do you think um and this is just an organized way of doing this with like peers who are at the similar scale in terms of uh, net worth 100% i mean that's the whole point of this right the whole point is to learn to the whole point is to find your blind spots and i cannot believe that this doesn't exist uh, i'm sure it exists in an unorganized manner in india like you mentioned i'm sure there are like within uh uh caste or religion i think it exists because i've heard like kachi groups um have a lot of these like business um business groups so i'm sure like it also exists for investment but you can definitely find a way to organize it uh much better uh but before we go into the different business ideas for this um i just want to take four learnings that i found while researching about tiger 21 because one great thing about tiger 21 is that it keeps the aggregate portfolio of all their members open okay so these are people who are on average worth like 50 million dollars and their overall aggregate portfolio is something like 9 billion dollars or something 9 billion and 90 billion i can't remember um and so you can see the aggregate numbers and you can see what these people do with their money it is absolutely fascinating what they do with their money the first lesson that i got from this was that you cannot make money you are not you cannot make this much money as a professional on average uh, because something like 60 70 80% of the people in tiger global sorry tiger 21 <laughs> tiger global is an investment company tiger 21 they got their money from entrepreneurship right so they were entrepreneurs who got an exit or their companies did really well and that's why they have so much wealth uh, so you have to take those risks if you want that kind of fu money uh, where you have like 10 million dollars of investable assets uh none second thing i learned from them is that the behaviors that you do in order to earn that money are very different than the behaviors to preserve your money because these people are in like a wealth preservation mode and not wealth creation mode so therefore they have very little allocation to equity on on aggregate on average we like me you siddharth we invest a lot in equity because equity is a risky asset class and can get you huge gains but they have very little in equity they have most of their stuff in like private uh, private equity but yeah it's equity uh, they have it in uh, real estate they have it in like other safer asset classes rather than in um, locked up in equity number 3 on average these people have a lot of money in cash uh, something I, i think it was 12% was in cash on average and uh, during covid i think this was in october of 2020 it, it went up to 19% now think about it their average worth is about 50 million dollars 10% is 5 a 5 million dollar in cash that's crazy right why do they keep so much in cash uh, number one that a really interesting investment might come up at any point you need to have the money on hand in order to do it and that's true even for people like us right you never know when a good investment comes up uh, the secondly you might be able to buy stuff at a fire sale price somebody might be desperate and they might want to sell a house uh, or something like that so that happened to me uh, this january i found a house in low parel in bombay which was selling at a ridiculous price one of the most beautiful houses i've ever seen i couldn't buy it because i just didn't have the cash for it right i didn't have the cash for the down payment etc um number 3 emergency fund you always need an emergency fund i feel like not enough of us keep enough of an emergency fund the last lesson i learned from this is 
um that social connections are super important and social connections are as important as hard cash um i've learned this from my time at ascent as well is the network i built a strong organic network is much more important than just being like finding some kind of wealth manager and just being like hey wealth manager make me money because yeah. the incentive that the wealth manager has is to how is he going to get his commission the incentive that your peers have is that i want to make more money i want to help my friends make more money therefore they're going to help you your incentive with your relationship manager and you do not align and i think this is the way that i think hni should be meeting up more and discussing much more transparently about their investments so that i've spoken for a while what uh, what do you think um, do you think there's some good business opportunities coming out of this yeah i from what i was reading there's nothing in india like this right nothing in asia actually uh, which i thought about it why is in something like this in india and specifically asia i can only comment on india i think traditionally a lot of these business owners who made money uh, were primarily investing it in two asset classes real estate and gold right this was equity penetration was extremely small uh, mutual fund penetration was extremely small all other kinds of investment asset classes and primarily because i think this comes back to one line that i had read there which is which is absolutely true and this is i'm quoting them everyone assumes you're brilliant because you made a lot of money but the most members know little outside of their domain or expertise that's where we come in right that's what that's what tiger 21 says and this is absolutely true for india people who've made money in india over the last two decades two three decades manufacturing companies and different kinds of companies they're not good at investments i've spoken to my friends and their families and they're now in like they made a killing out of like you know just being in good businesses but they invested it wrong it's invested in some real estate that's like the title is not clear um, and all of this and i thought back on like why this was happening the reason this was happening was the unaccounted cash that was being generated in india black money so to say was so high and there's only real estate and gold which you could buy years at least years ago you could buy these with a lot of unaccounted cash and nobody would know right on an average if you saw a real estate price at least by the government standard there's something called as a guideline price which is you can't sell below it let's say if a property was worth 1 crore chances are the property is actually worth 3 crores and you've paid 2 crores in cash right so you've paid 66% in cash and 30 33% in white money this was happening quite a bit in early 2000s even like mid to 2010s but no more right because of the the restrictions and regulations that the government has come up with a lot of this unaccounted cash has gone away from the economy and people are moving to just like accounted taxable income what that means is the investment opportunities open up significantly but these people are not equipped to understand these investment opportunities or to take the advantage of these investment opportunities which is why something like a tiger 21 in india could be brilliant yeah dude even my dad um before i started uh, investing his some of his money for him uh he didn't have any equity any equity investments uh, which to me is insane like my dad is a very smart guy he has done very well for himself but he didn't have any equity he was like i don't trust it every time i've tried to put money in equity i've lost it yeah so he just doesn't do it uh and so therefore yeah somebody like him right uh would benefit a lot from something like this uh, so okay my what my thoughts about india are so i i found some numbers because you insist on numbers siddharth is that there are something like 2 and a half lakh uh, hnis in india so and, and when i'm talking about hni as per the report that i read is somebody who's a millionaire right somebody who has at least a million dollars so that's about 7 crores right now in india so there are about 2 and a half lakh people in india who have at least 7 crores right that is a lot of people 
but i am also <laughs> disappointed it is a country of 130 crore people or some 1.3 billion people and all we have is 2 and a half lakh people who have more than 7 crore rupees i'm i'm both sad and also optimistic about the future on like the headroom that we have for growth is just insane uh but yeah 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 there's a hopefully next time we have this discussion there's be like 10 lakh millionaires who knows anyway uh the point is that number one if you are an investment professional like you yourself know investment really well i think you could start by a building a network of these kind of people and start building these trust groups so like start building like 10 15 people ka trust groups um and start to get them talking about the investments what they're doing with their money uh, start with these like investment portfolio defense and all that stuff but what's really important in all of this i've learned this in my own ascent ka experience is that trust is the most important factor in this and therefore you need to make sure that there's there's no conflict of interest uh, that they're not in the same industry maybe or uh, like these are people like who trust each other for whatever reason intrinsically yeah i don't know what that reason could be i was actually talking to some really good friends of mine you know people who have known for close to 10 years now and i shared the tiger 21 idea with them and i was like what do you guys think and the the immediate response was are you going to be okay sharing your entire portfolio let alone defending it right just transparently sharing the entire portfolio is going to be a psychological shift it's going to be some sort of a shift right because money something at least in indian concept is very like not spoken about as much uh nazar lag jayegi types i i don't know but uh, that's a that's a big hurdle if this were to work in india you'll have to figure out a way to like inculcate trust to a level where people are openly sharing their portfolio the the good thing is it's not like sharing it on twitter or something it's a group of 10 12 15 people so it's not that tough to build trust within those people uh but that's going to be the biggest hurdle i think um secondly i think this opportunity doesn't exist only in india i think it exists in asia as a whole right because uh for people who are there in singapore hong kong or whatever right uh tiger 21 it doesn't exist in these areas i'm sure there are some informal networks over there but can you make a formal network over there as well uh because there is a lot more wealth in those areas and you could um if you are there already or um planning to go there you could start building it over there Yeah. Um, I think this could start as like a side hustle kind of thing, and it could become over like a decade something like a legitimate business, and that's the same thing that happened with entrepreneurs' organization. Um, it just start started off with one single uh, group, and then it just kept spreading across the world. Uh, so yeah, um, I don't. I mean, do you see other business opportunities here? I think not just H and I's. H and I's is one part, one million dollars and plus. but even lesser than that right people who are earning a good salary let's say a crore every year uh while they're you know they're obviously spending a lot of that on their lifestyle expenses and stuff like that these are also interesting people where you can build a tech led platform where it's not as high touch where it's not you know 15 people coming together but something which is some some sort of social investment like the combination of that where you let a few of your friends and peers um into your like you know you add them to your profile and at an aggregate level you can they can see where have you invested debt and equity in real estate and gold and what not um and you can have interesting conversations there you can have conversations about investment products there um a lot of knowledge could reside there so social and investing sort of put together some opportunity there i think what is that uh, platform i think ind money or ind wealth or what something other what in money in money i absolutely love it i i'm going to try and get the founder of in money on the platform i absolutely love the app anyway so in money has all this information anyways 
so why not um, like in money can tie up with somebody else and then uh, they are the upar wala tech layer they have the database right and then they connect all like they can send an email saying like hey we are starting this thing who is interested just like uh, do the opt in form or whatever and then they can uh, yeah they can start forming these groups it's just like how do you how do you build trust that's the only question but yeah exactly right and and it could just start with like add your friends right like they build a social angle you they, they don't yeah. even have to partner they have a solid tech team right so they build the social angle and say hey just add your friends and the information that we're going to share is not even real numbers we're just going to say 30% of his portfolio is in equities 20% is in gold 10% of my portfolio is in nfts no i'm kidding uh, but uh, stuff like this could be shared on the platform and you could have interesting conversations there so yeah Yeah and it could start off with like these vague numbers and then as you go on and as you build more trust it could become more and more detailed yeah i think that's a that's one way that in money could do it in fact uh, but can you maybe get the information from in money through an api and then build another tech enabled platform i don't know maybe maybe not uh, because that 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 information is very uh, restrictive i i doubt in money is going to let that information go that's that's their moat okay. right that's their moat yeah yeah okay should we move on Yes, uh, I love Tiger Twenty One, but let's move on. What else do we have, Siddharth? Yeah, so we've been doing this no code course with fifteen entrepreneurs, and uh, this was an interesting experiment that that we did that came out of the podcast. Uh, we were speaking to entrepreneurs, and a lot of people said, "Hey, help us out with like you know using no code tools to digitize our businesses." We said we don't want to do services in India specifically for SMEs; they don't pay well, and it's not a good business in my mind, at least. So we decided to do a course. um and as part of the course we've gone so deep into just digitizing business using no code tools that just ton of opportunities just like you know they're in front of us my overall thesis is software is eating the world what you know mark andresen said 10 years ago maybe that software will eat the world i think no code is how software will truly eat the world right no code is basically democratization of technology where people who don't know how to code can also build tools that work for them the challenge in the you know b2b systems and stuff like that the challenge has been that every business is unique and so are their needs and hence out of the box solutions generally falter in some place or form and they don't get accepted within the organization uh, obviously you know sap's and salesforce have been able to crack this but in general that's that's one of the the biggest sort of drawbacks i foresee that every company is going to become a software company in 10 years from now by that i mean they're not going to be selling software but they're going to be using software for 80% of their business processes what that would mean is one they will need to have capability in house to to basically their people should know how to develop these no code low code you know develop tools on these no code low code platforms and the obvious opportunity one is start a training institute like just what we are doing basically do it at a large scale for business owners for execs at you know you know enterprises or technical teams at enterprises and build like a no code low code automation teams i i don't want to call it no code low code that's i don't think that's the right word automation teams basically right uh chief automation officer or something like that uh this is this i heard i heard about this on the my first million podcast and i absolutely love the idea build chief automation officers within these companies by either training them or second just build an agency just build a no code low code agency i don't know why that doesn't exist in india uh is just such a good opportunity where people come to you and tell you they tell them that this is our need and you can go back to them in two weeks with a final product saying that hey yeah start using it um it, i think that that's another opportunity just agency or just training these people 
I think I know why it doesn't exist in India because the money to be made uh, for projects abroad is much more than the money to be made in India. That's why it doesn't exist in India. Uh, once there's a plethora of people, once a lot of people are trained on this, then people will start doing projects in India. Or I'm going I'm going to be classist or an African company realizes that yo India is a better market, so they come here and they do it. I don't know. Uh, just sorry. Sorry for making this joke. I I mean no harm. I mean, yeah, I love it. Uh, this is one also goes back to one of the questions that somebody had asked right in the course. Is that like, oh, you're teaching me all these no-code tools, but who the hell is going to implement it, right? And that's why you you basically build a giant army of uh, no-code people who understand no-code really well, who can learn new software really fast, and who can implement it for uh, yeah for different businesses. And I do the need for it is super high. Dude, and think of it from a vocational training perspective. I can take a high school graduate. The high school graduate today is already tech savvy. They've already, you know, used a lot of these social apps and internet apps and whatnot. I can train that person to be a rock star on no code, low code within a year without them having to go to college, and they can make a decent amount of money um, using this skill set, right? So the vocational training aspect of it is actually. good it's actually pretty good and the army of people that you're talking about your business mode will be the training that you're talking about right train these people internally and build like you know either these people go and do projects by staying at companies for a couple of months 2 3 months or retainers or agency or what not completely agree should we move on yeah to the last brilliant idea that i have i can't wait for this 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 is this is we should start a separate segment called business crazies just for sahil's these Uh, out of the box ideas that he's going to share right now. I don't know the story, so I'm going to be as excited as you guys to hear where the hell did he come up with this idea of Indian clothes, but for the office, not formal wear. Go for it, Sail. Okay, so basically, I was having a discussion with uh, one of my team members, and uh, we were just talking about uh, you know what what people wear for interviews. I don't know how that topic came up, but we were talking about it, and he was like, "Oh yeah, you know, uh, you're supposed to wear like a light shirt." Blah 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 blah. I was like, okay, who came up with this concept that you should only wear this for interviews? And he was like, oh, we were taught this in my MBA. I was like, okay, but where did that come from? Like, and then when you go to the root of it, it comes from what Western people think is the right thing to wear. Um, I over the last couple of years have been having this big rebellion against the my entire um, education and my childhood and my uh, the time I have lived in the West uh, because I feel like it's 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 made me think in a very western mold right now just think about it what if somebody came to an interview in indian clothes would you reject that person immediately it's already common for women to wear salwar kameezes but i'm saying men like have you ever seen a man not wear a suit and tie for an interview i have not i haven't either yeah I if somebody came to me in a uh, kurta kurti I would be like awesome dude I love this guy already he is unique now one thing first of all I am making this pledge here I am going to start wearing a kurta or kurti or bandi or something to the office um at least once a week um but the thing is when I look at what's available online you find two things number one you find indian clothes for the home So you know, just like that plain white kurta, that's just very, very relaxing that you can wear um, all day long, and it it goes with the weather of India. You know, India is a hot place. You need something that's flowing, airy. By the way, airy. One thing that I love that's happened in the last couple of years, linen has become a lot more popular. 
in India. Yeah, yeah. Uh, earlier, it was all about cotton, cotton, cotton. Last couple of years, linen has become more popular. And linen is also fantastic for the weather of India. So you have that very... So number one, you have that very home style clothes. Number two, you have very formal clothes. You know, stuff that you wear for weddings. Stuff that you will wear in very formal locations. But what about stuff that you'd want to wear to the office? Um when I asked my wife this, she was like, oh yeah, I couldn't imagine like a bandi. I could imagine like a shorter kurta, like a kurti style thing. When you say bandi, is it the Nehru jacket? Like, is is it that? What is bandi? Yeah, 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 that. Yeah, it's that kind of like uh, over a kurta, you wear like a, a, a Nehru jacket kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, more Chinese collar kind of uh, shirts, uh, kurtis kind of things. Uh, I can totally imagine a brand being like, go back to your roots, uh, wear Indian clothes for the office. Because there are enough brands doing Indian formal Indian clothes for weddings, but like a maniavar and stuff like that, right? By the way, if somebody can get us maniavar, I would literally fall in love with you. I would love to have maniavar on the podcast. I know the I know the founder. I've spoken to him, and he's very media <laughs> media shy. He is not going to come on the podcast. He rejected a Forbes profile on him, so we, the Indian dream is not going to stand a chance, at least not right now. <laughs> but this is okay, one of those things. One of those things that we're going to just keep taking a shot at whenever I meet him. I'm just going to be like, come yeah. on the podcast. Okay. Anyway, Maniavar exists for that. Do the same thing for the office. Something like super, super content heavy, like constant content uh, about like, oh, wearing a kurta, something like that to the office. I have never seen it ever in my life. Somebody wearing Indian clothes to the office. What do except, you except if it's Diwali or Holi or whatnot, right? Like it's literally yeah, yeah. fancy dress at that day and, and everybody is just like wearing Indian stuff. Uh, that's the only yeah. time, right? But... Okay, I'm going to I'm going to call this out and I'm probably going to regret it. This is not as crazy as I initially thought. This has some logical sort of backing to where you're coming from, and I do agree with that like western mindset that has been taught to us by default, right? Like just the British hangover or something like that. Um and and I can totally imagine the the Bombay kid that you are the Bombay kid that you are IB board graduate. You can look back at the entire thing and be like why was I taught all the, you know, Western traditions and, and whatnot? Completely agreed. Dude, sorry. On this part, my, my wife went through the IGCSE board since like 8th standard or something. And she said she doesn't know any Indian history. She knows British history very well, but she doesn't know anything about Indian history. Because, yeah, they just didn't teach that in IGCSE board. Anyway, yeah. Which, dude, you're fine. Because the CBSE history is depending on which political party is in power. So... I don't know. It might as well go through a Netflix documentary or like a hot star show to get the right history. That's probably a better idea. But uh, anyway, coming back to the coming back to the idea, um, I think this is a huge psychological shift, a huge behavioral shift that you'll have to do, right? And maybe, as you said, it has to be content heavy because you want this content to go viral and a lot of people to see it. Because if you just come up with this line and just put it out there, people are just going to be like, hmm. Like this doesn't make any sense, right? Like this, this doesn't add up to my uh, worldview of how office wear should be. Um, but I like the idea of Nehru jackets. I like the idea of like, you know, just better suited for Indian climates, Delhi climate in the summers, Bombay climate in the summers. It's so humid, hot that kurtas are generally better suited, which is why I think once people go beyond like 50, 60, and once they care, stop caring about like what people think about what they're wearing, they're like, I'm going to be wearing the most comfortable stuff. In the last few years, before my dad passed away, I think he wore kurtas for a good 5, 7, 10 years. And he's like, yeah, this is this is what I like. This is this is what I want to wear. Um, so that attitude needs to be brought forward to 20s and 30s. And if somebody can do it, 
I don't know. I still don't know if this is going to be a good idea or not. But there's there's anything that we can do to help with some seed money, in fact, because you know Sile is so committed to it. I'm committing his money, not my money. Uh, we'll do it. Let's let's try and see if this can work. Uh, yeah, I think even in offices, I think it will start from the top. Um, if like a boss starts doing it, and that's why I'm going to start doing it as well, um, at least once a week. And I think I'm excited. I'm excited to try it out. New experiment. Um, a shift of the way I think a shift of the way I act because I act super Western all the time. Yeah. Anyway. So I was, I was a consultant and uh, you know, we had to wear like, if not ties, blazers and, you know, formal pants and shirts. And every Friday there used to be like jeans day, which used to be like, Oh, we can wear jeans. The same thing can happen on every Friday at Axis, which is Siles company. Uh, you can go wear Indian stuff. Yeah. Let's make it happen. Uh, how many how many months before you put a picture of the entire team at Axis wearing Indian clothes? How many months before you think you can make this happen? Okay, give me six months. Okay. I'll have to. It'll take me take a lot of convincing because I have to convince other parties as well. True. <laughs> True. I have to convince my HR head more than anything. Anyway, uh, so that let's close it out. Yes, thank you so much. Um, this was actually a really good episode. I I liked uh, the flow of information and the ideas that we discussed. Hopefully, people also like it. Uh, as I said earlier, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Both those are going to be links to those are going to be in the show notes. We're going to be creating a lot more reels. We're going to be creating a lot more Twitter threads on, on the stuff that we learn from the podcast that we do um, across different episodes. Um, we're going to be serious about content distribution. That's the theme for this year. Uh, no more experiments, no more cohort based classes, no more all the stuff that we did last year to learn what works and what doesn't work. We've realized what works is just consistent content creation and 3x effort on content distribution. So um, follow us there and help us out. Okay. Bye guys.